I'm Paul Heron, and this is episode 28 of the Anna Eastneen podcast. Today's topic is the history of literary journals dedicated to Anna Eastneen. Did you know that there has been at least one volume of a journal about Neen and her circle published every year since 1970? Except, however, 2002, but we'll discuss that later. I'm also using this podcast as an opportunity to let you know that Volume 15 of the current Neen Journal, A Cafe in Space, will be the last. More about that later. Now some history. Co-editors Richard Senning and Benjamin Franklin V brought out the quarterly Under the Sign of Pisces on the East Dean Inner Circle, the first periodical dedicated to Neen in 1970. Richard Senting kindly gave me several volumes of Pisces when I met him in 1996. There's nothing ostentatious about Pisces. They are small, typewritten, staple-bound pamphlets averaging about 20 pages, but the contents were timely and informative. Senting said the focus of Pisces, which he called a newsletter and not a journal, was academic and bibliographical. It was a way for Dean readers and scholars to stay abreast of the latest publications by, about, or related to Dean. Senting published these journals through the Ohio State University Library, where he worked. The first issues were $2 for all four, or 75 cents for singles. Senting told me that, aside from his devotion to Anais Neen, part of his motivation for Pisces was the Ohio State Library had a publish-or-die motto. But his allegiance to Neen was well-known and deep. He concurrently, beginning in 1973, published another quarterly titled The Widening Circle, which contained creative writing and poetry by those in Neen's circle. Benjamin Franklin V, Pisces co-editor, contributed a good deal of content until he was, as he puts it, fired by scenting in 1973 at Neen's bequest. Why, I asked? Ben told me that Neen didn't appreciate his scholarly and serious assessment of her work. Rather, he says, she expected adoration, not independent thought. It seems that this was the case with other Neen scholars, but that's a topic for another podcast. Senting continued to edit and publish Pisces alone until the end of 1981. He then went on to produce another periodical titled Seahorse, the Ani East Neen Henry Miller Journal, a quarterly that lasted two years, ending in 1983. That same year, Neen's longtime literary agent and co-editor of the Diaries, Gunther Stuhlman took the concept of a Neen journal to another level when he teamed up with Neen's literary executor, Rupert Pohl. The result was Ani East, an international journal. The publication was funded by the Ani East Neen Foundation, a nonprofit run by Pohl, and judging from the high quality of the product, no money was spared. Each issue sported a handsome cover, Benbow font inside, several photographs, and the usual page count was around 138. The first volume appeared on February 21, 1983, the day that would have been Dean's 80th birthday. To put this in perspective, it was six years after Dean's death, four years after Little Birds appeared, and three years after the release of Volume 7 of The Diary of Anna East Neen. The afterglow of Neen's life was still strong, and her posthumous career was only beginning. 
Not only did the International Journal provide carefully selected excerpts from upcoming Neen Diaries, it also included the work of several of Neen's contemporaries, including her New York husband, Hugh Geiler, also known as Ian Hugo, the filmmaker and engraver. Obviously, Geiler, even six years after his wife's death, didn't want to be publicly identified as the husband of Annie East Neen. When one inspects the notes on contributors, neither Ian Hugo or Hugh Geiler even appear. Because Stolman was professionally involved with Annie East Neen, first as an agent and then as an editor since the late 1950s, he had a wealth of information at his fingertips. It is not far-fetched to believe he knew more about Ani Isnin than any living person at the time, including, in some ways, her two husbands. And now that he was working with one of them, Executor Rupert Pohl, there was no limit to what he could use in the International Journal. That said, however, as long as Hugh Geiler was alive, there was never any mention of his and Nee's relationship. There was also no mention of Neen's and Pohl's relationship, even after it had been exposed in two Neen biographies in the mid-1990s. Stuhlman released what he felt was helpful to Neen's image and legacy. He did not go for what could be considered as cheap thrills. For example, in Volume 10, which was published in 1992, the same year as the publication of the controversial unexpurgated diary Incest, Stuhlman excerpted only Neen's descriptions of some dreams. There was no mention of anything that could be judged salacious. And when citing the source, Stuhlman wrote that it was the forthcoming, quote, Journal of Love for the years 1932 to 1934, unquote. He did not use the word incest. Just as an aside, this makes me realize what an uncomfortable position Stuhlman must have been put in by Rupert Pohl's ambition that all of Neen's intimate writing should be published, ideally without any editorial filtration whatsoever. Stuhlman, who was very protective of Neen's image while she was alive and long after her death, cringed at the idea that the details of her sex life would be revealed to the world, not to mention incest with her father. But as we now know, Stuhlman was the editor of Incest and the two unexpurgated diaries that followed. Some years after the unexpurgated diaries were released, Gunther attended a social affair and was introduced to a guest as Dean's one-time agent and editor. The guest, a woman, asked, Did you know her well? Stuhlman replied that he knew her well enough for her to attend his wedding. Then the woman asked, did she take off all her clothes? He told me afterwards, that really pissed me off. This was precisely the reputation he had fought to prevent. He wanted her to be taken seriously as a writer, and yet he was in the position of helping Pohl get the so-called sex diaries published. Initially, I think he felt he could have had some control over the editing, but as others discovered before him, Pohl was an exacting taskmaster who fought to get every word Neen said in print, no matter the consequences. It wasn't until well after the release of Nearer the Moon in 1996 that Stolman included in the International Journal an excerpt from the unpublished diary that consisted of Neen's poetic but graphic description of a love affair she had in Provincetown with an opera singer she dubbed Siegfried. Stolman called the excerpt Intermezzo, and I, for one, found it delightful. The source was a diary that wouldn't be published for another 14 years, Mirages. 
Perhaps no one could accuse Stuhlman of using sex as a way to promote a book since Harcourt had rejected the rest of Dean's diary some three years earlier, and there was no one waiting in the wings. As I was deepening my studies of Ani Isnin in the mid-1990s, one of my goals was to someday be published in the International Journal. You could say I was a real fan and that I had stars in my eyes. In 1996, Stuhlman included articles from authors who would appear in my first book, Ani Isnin, A Book of Mirrors. And finally, in 1998, my article, The Most Personal of Writers, on the difficulties of writing about Ani Isnin, appeared in volume 16. To me, this was a big deal. I somehow felt validated. I was to contribute to the next and last three issues. From my personal experience, Gunther Stuhlman was a firm but inspirational editor. He could tell me to scrap an entire article and start over from scratch in a way that I found entirely constructive. He liked to say that he ran roughshod over my writing. And while that was true, my writing improved because of it. I know I'm not the only one that feels that way. He was more than just an editor. He was a literary coach, if you will. This leads me to the missing year in the continuum of Neen journals that began in 1970, the year 2002. Volume 19 of Ana East in the International Journal came out in February of 2001. That same year, Gunther Stuhlman learned he had leukemia and that it was terminal. Before his diagnosis, he had decided to skip 2002 for volume 20 and instead publish a special double issue in 2003 in time for Neen Centennial. While he had already collected contributions, he became too ill to do anything with them. He asked his wife Barbara to mail the contributions back to their authors and called the issue off. When Barbara asked Gunther if he wanted someone to continue the International Journal, he replied, This is my baby, and it's going to die with me. He passed away in 2002 at his home in the Berkshires with Barbara at his side. The following month, Rupert Pohl issued a brief statement, quote, to subscribers of Ani East International Journal. The Ani Eastning Foundation announces regrettably that we are terminating future publications of Ani East and International Journal. This is to honor the last wish of Gunther Stuhlman before his death in April this year, who had been its sole editor and had heroically dedicated his time and effort bringing out 19 volumes of the journal. Please understand that the checks already received by the foundation for the next issue of the journal will not be returned to the senders because we are short of manpower at this time, but these checks will not be cashed. Also, we are sorry to announce that we are no longer able to meet your requests for back issues. All activities concerning the journal will cease from this date. We thank all the subscribers for the warm and enthusiastic support you have given to the journal over the last two decades. Not long after Gunther's death, I attended a Lawrence Durrell conference in Ottawa, Canada, and saw another mentor of mine from way back, Roger Jackson, along with some of his friends. I was present when Jackson and James Decker sat down in a cafe and threw ideas back and forth about the formation of a literary journal dedicated to Henry Miller, which turned out to be Nexus. 
and Nexus has had its own amazing run. Roger told me then that I had just witnessed history being made, which turned out to be true. Later on at the conference, he pulled me aside and said, Why don't you pick up where Gunther left off? You're the right person for the job. This brief conversation, along with being inspired by the idea of Nexus, sparked something in me. When I returned home, I contacted Barbara Stuhlman to run the idea by her. To say that she was supportive would be a criminal understatement. She even went as far as giving me the names of those authors who were about to contribute to the never-published volume 20 of the International Journal. This was the real deal. A new Neen publication was about to be born, some 33 years after Pisces. In the summer of 2003, I paid Barbara Stuhlman a visit. Although I had been in a home previously, I was unaware of the cavernous basement that contained boxes, file cabinets, bins, folders, desks chock full of Neen-related treasures. As I stood there surveying this vast archive, I also noticed that there were several huge boxes filled with unsold international journals. There were several copies of each of the 19 volumes. Rupert had announced that all activities surrounding the journal had ceased, and I knew that Barbara didn't want the burden of filling orders and so on. So I asked her if she was willing to let me do it. Each volume, in my opinion, contains a wealth of information that the Neen community would find valuable. She agreed that it would be a tragic waste to throw them away or let them rot. So I loaded up our PT Cruiser to the gills with several copies of each volume and made them available to the public. Two years ago, I sold the last complete set. But back to the basement. There were other gems to be found, this time for the new journal. There were photographs of Neen's young lover in 1940s New York, John Dudley, and a whole lot of material from around that time. It was critical stuff needed for the making of the first issue's centerpiece, a diary excerpt called Mirage, from the unpublished diary. In fact, the excerpt was the seed that would eventually develop into the first unexpurgated Neen diary in 17 years, Mirages, which was published in 2013. But I was still very short on material for Volume 1, and I needed to find more contributors. I was scheduled to speak at a centenary celebration of the East Neen held in Santa Barbara, where Janet Fitch of White Oleander fame spoke, as did Neen's Japanese translator Kazuko Sugasaki. The poet Aaron Sito read True to Character, dedicated to Neen, which utterly blew me away. I also met the Japanese scholar Yuko Yaguchi at a dinner after the conference, and later Rupert Pohl himself. I was surrounded by all sorts of incredibly talented and passionate writers who happened to love Neen and found inspiration in her work, just as I did. Of course, I wasted no time in asking each and every one of them to submit something to the new journal. And they came through, and so did the attendees of the Durrell Conference the year before. Volume 1 was shaping up, and I was determined to publish it before the end of 2003, the centenary year of Neen's birth. I had no experience in doing a journal, but I had Gunther as a model, and I wisely used the International Journal as a guide. I didn't want the new publication to be a duplicate of the International Journal, and it is not, but I was inspired by Gunther's organizational skills, his editing, and the wide range of interests he displayed in the journal. But how to market this new journal? How to present it? Denise Brown, a writer and teacher living in Vermont, laid out a very clear plan as to how I should present the premier issue. She said, 
Spare no expense. Cut no corners. Make it spectacular. I took these words to heart and hoped that the first issue would not disappoint. After all, it had a very tough act to follow. Now, what would it be called? As it happened so many times, the title was from Annie East herself. When Pisces was first published, she called it a cafe in space where people who loved her work could gather in spite of the great geographical distances between them. I had used the title A Cafe in Space in the International Journal for an article about Neen on the net, and Gunther loved it. So there it was, A Cafe in Space, the Annie East Neen Literary Journal. And the iconic cover was designed by none other than my partner, Sarah. In October of 2003, the first volume of A Cafe in Space was published, consisting of 155 pages with articles by Janet Fitch, Kosko Sugasaki, Neen scholars Benjamin Franklin V and Philip Jason, the diary excerpt, and an ode to Gunther Stuhlman by his old friend Dudley Levinson. There were 17 contributors in all. There were academic articles, travelogues, memoirs, photography, and poetry. There were book reviews and information about Ani Isnin on the net. I was amazed at how well it came together. But would readers respond? When Benjamin Franklin V, who was very honest in his critiques, told me that Cafe was a worthy successor to the International Journal, I was relieved. After all, I'd had the audacity to call it Volume 1, when, in fact, I had no idea whether there would be a Volume 2. But it seemed clear that there would now be a Volume 2, and I had contributions rolling in with very little effort on my part. Succeeding volumes seemed to feed off the previous ones, and there were new contributions far and wide, including the legendary editor John Ferrone and waves of new Neen scholars. We are currently up to volume 14, with number 15 in the works. I myself am astounded at how long this has been going on. I've always felt that Cafe is a book of empty pages that those who are interested in Neen in her circle can fill up. Sometimes this is an easy, self-perpetuating job, and sometimes it's not. Cafe, over the years, has been blessed with fresh ideas, such as a manga version of Neen's classic Under a Glass Bell, never-seen-before excerpts from Neen's diaries and correspondence, not the least of which is a series of letters to and from her father just before, during, and after their first incestuous encounter. That series is titled Prelude to a Symphony, Letters Between a Father and Daughter, and appears in Volume 6. And while there were problems along the way, articles that didn't get written or published, personality clashes, and so on, I have to look at it this way. Contributors basically work for free, in some cases investing a lot of time and effort in their work. For this, I am eternally grateful. A cafe in space would not exist without its contributors. My favorite part of editing and publishing Cafe has always been that this job has enabled me to make connections with those I would otherwise never know, and to discover something new with each issue. There are plenty of examples of friendships that have been born because of Cafe, which is exactly what Ani Eastin was striving for with her work. So the question might be, why end it with volume 15? Why now? Why not keep it up? To be honest, I don't have a concrete answer for this. It's just time. It's something I know and feel deep down, 
and it's a feeling that cannot be ignored. It's instinct. I love this too much to let it go beyond its natural end. It's time for something new. My devotion to Anis Dean does not end with a cafe in space. Right now I'm working on the next two unexpurgated diaries and I'll be engaged in other Dean-related projects as well, beginning with the print version of Britt Aaronander's Ani East Dean's Lost World, Paris and Pictures and Words, 1924-1939. There are also plans to publish a print version of Barbara Kraft's Ani East Dean, The Last Days, in the near future, not to mention the fact that the new unexpurgated diary, Trapeze, has just been published, along with an audio version of Dean's Oletris Erotica. There's no slowing down around here. It's just the shifting of focus. There will be, in 2019, an anthology of the 15 volumes of A Cafe in Space, which I guarantee will be a high-quality product. There is so much to draw from. I imagine it will be pretty thick and heavy. It will be the perfect tribute to 15 years' worth of work from so many, some of whom are no longer with us. If I may, I'd like to pay tribute to Rupert Pohl, who died in 2006. John Ferrone, on the East Neen's friend and editor of many of her books, most notably Henry and June and the Erotica. Peter Christensen, a noted Lawrence Durrell scholar and Morton Traub, who once met Neen and decades later was still inspired enough to write poetry about her. I count myself lucky to have known these people, and we're all lucky that their work appears in the pages of A Cafe in Space. The good news is that all volumes of A Cafe in Space are still in print, and all of them are available electronically. I can't guarantee that the print issues will always be around, but for now they are and we're offering a special deal on multi-volume purchases at our website, www.skybluepress.org. And we are still seeking submissions to Volume 15. If you or someone you know is interested, please let us know. This has been the Ani East Need Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until the next time. <laughs>